I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome back to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and in this week's episode, I am going to be talking with Danielle Lau, and those of you who have been following college tennis for a while may remember Danielle from her years playing at USC. She was one of the stars of the USC women's tennis program for her time there and went out onto tour after she finished at USC, actually wrote a book. And I had her on this podcast when her book came out. And I'll have a link to that episode in the show notes for those of you who want to go back and listen. But Danielle and I recently reconnected on social media after she posted something about some friends of hers coming out to watch her play at a professional tournament and just what that meant to her to look into the stands and see those faces there supporting her as she was going about her job. And I thought it would be so fun to have her come back on the podcast and talk to y'all about her life on the pro tour and and what it's been like and what she faces and how she approaches her schedule and her travel and being away from home and being away from her boyfriend and all of those things that these young professionals have to deal with. Danielle is 28 now. So she's been out on the tour for several years already. She has gotten her singles ranking up to its current place of 167, which keeps her very competitive and it's a great place for her to be. So I just think it's so fun to talk to these young pros, especially the ones who came through the college system and hear how they're managing out there. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Danielle. Also want to remind you of a couple things. Firstly, if you haven't signed up for our Tennis Parent Recruiting Panel at the WTCA Conference in New York on August 23rd. Please, please, please join us if you're going to be in the area. It's going to be a great morning of great information from college coaches at all levels of the game. And I I feel like it's going to provide great insights to those of you going through the recruiting process with your daughters. Also, if you haven't joined us as a premium member on ParentingAces.com yet, what are you waiting for? Come join us. We've got a monthly option for you, an annual option for you, a discount for coaches. And so we really try to to make it doable for everyone. So please come take a look at ParentingAces.com. You just have to click on the join button that's flashing on the top right and see what's available. All right. That's enough of that. I will stop talking now and let you enjoy my conversation with Danielle Lau. Welcome, Danielle, back to the Parenting Aces podcast. I haven't spoken to you in a while, and I'm so happy to get to catch up with you. Oh, thanks for having me. I know it's been a few years um, since I connected with you, but it's glad to, I'm glad to circle back and like, yeah, have, have another conversation. Yeah. And so this whole conversation was kind of precipitated by a social media post that you made recently talking about how good you felt looking into the stands at at a match you played and having familiar faces there. And I thought, gosh, you know, this is a part of professional tennis life that we don't really talk about that much. And I thought you are the perfect person to kind of give us an honest look about or at what life on tour is really like. And Mm -hmm. I'd love to start by kind of talking about that transition. If you can remember the details from when you graduated from USC and you had a phenomenal college career at USC, um, transitioning from that life to tour life and how you feel your college tennis prepared you for that? Yeah, well, it was, it was definitely a huge switch. Um, when I, when I went out of, when I came out of college and started to compete on tour, uh, definitely a different mentality in, in college, you can draw upon your teammates for motivation, 
when you're when you're not feeling so great and um you can draw on them for a company too on the road like it, it was it was as if like if you guys were stuck somewhere in a place you didn't want to be at least you were stuck together um but going on tour and, and starting from zero you have to go to a lot of cities maybe not the maybe not the most glamorous cities in the world to go compete to start at these smaller events and um although you may know some of the other girls or some of the other competitors at the tournament they're not exact it's it's a little tough to say like these girls are on my side and uh, I, I i talked to i talked to everyone about how i, I really do miss uh, the team environment uh at in college it, it was just such a great atmosphere um especially when things weren't going well like somebody would come and pick you up but um but yeah on tour you kind of yeah you're kind of a lone ranger a bit um you you um you tend to use your wins and your losses as like the main as the main focus and that's initially how it starts which is um which is tough because like you know you're going to lose almost every week so uh and those losses they feel a lot more lonely they make life a lot more lonely especially when you don't have you know people beside you you know wanting you to succeed every week week in week out just like as if you were you know on a college team Mm -hmm. what are you traveling alone or or are you able to travel with a coach or a physio I, i try to travel with a coach as much as i can just really depends on my coach's availability and in times when i don't have my coach i've been able to maybe bring my mom along or sometimes my boyfriend may be able to come along and that really helps a lot actually to bring a little bit of home with you just so you you know you can find comfort in knowing that there's someone in the stands or there's someone like after the match before practice or after practice that that just wants to that's just there for you um you know regardless of your result and so in in the start of my my professional career I didn't really bring anyone along nor could I afford to bring anyone along so that that was a little tough but um now that uh, I've I've done a little bit better it's a little bit easier to you know bring bring people around mhm what's a typical day in the life of Danielle Lau these days uh <laughs> well um on the road you just you wake up you go practice, well, eat breakfast, you go practice, maybe you stretch out a little bit, have have a light lunch, go practice again, come back to the hotel or to housing, recover, rest up, eat again, sleep, and, and you know, rinse and repeat the following yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> who, do, who do you practice with? If I mean, if you're, let's say you don't have a coach with you that week. Well, um, but by, by now I've, I've, uh, you know, made some friends on tour or you would say like somewhat allies or people that you, you know, that you like, like to practice with, or you could get good practices out of. And, um, more often than not, they're, um, American girls. Um, sometimes, uh, I, when, when you go to a new place, maybe my first few times going to Asia, it was a little tough to find people to practice with because there's a language barrier and it's just kind of a different group of people that go play those tournaments. So you got to be a little bit brave to ask whoever to practice with you. And sometimes you'll ask three people and they'll just say, no, I'm all set because they've already asked their friends or, or their allies to, to practice with them. But um, at, at some point, if you've played enough tournaments, people see, you know, you've been around, like you just kind of develop a small network of people that you normally are, that normally are your go-to practice partners when you go on tour. And I mean, it's, it's like being back in the juniors where you're, you're maybe (laughs) practicing or warming up with somebody that you're going to see later in the draw, right? Yes, of course. It, It happens every week. And actually last year I played, I played a tournament where I warmed up with my friend, Irina Falcone. I wound up with her uh, for the first round of uh, first round of qualifying in San Jose, and then we played each other 
on the second round and we just decided to warm up with each other because no one was playing at the same time as we were and there was no one else in the draw that wanted to that it would have been like too difficult to find someone new so we were just like okay let's just hit with each other and we didn't really have a big deal about it so that's so, yeah, hilarious. It definitely happens. <laughs> that's really funny. I mean, you you know, you see that in the juniors from time to time where, mm-hmm. you know, doubles partners will warm up with each other and then, you know, they wind up having to play each other later or whatever. But I had just never thought on the professional tour that that happened. But, you know, it, it does. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think it happens more often than than people talk about. Does that give you some sense of, all right, I'm in a comfortable place. I mean, yeah, I have to play my friend, but, you know, it's okay because we're both in this boat together. And I mean, how do you switch gears from, you know, we're collaboratively warming each other up <laughs> for this match where one of us is going to get a check and one of us is not? <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, the day before when um, when we arranged to practice with each other again, I, I, I kind of thought about it. And, you, you know, you, you just you just think about it from from the angle of that I'm a professional. I know Irene is a professional. We're not going to give each other lousy warm-ups because we know that the warm-up does not mean anything uh, in comparison to the real match. Like when the real match comes around and they say ready play it's a whole different ball game so I, I guess if you just like separate it in that way um you know it, it it doesn't really it doesn't really bother you uh but I could I could definitely see how if if we both had other options we wouldn't go out of our way to practice with each other right before we played and I think it was just kind of the situation. We didn't really have any other choice. And so we were pushed to like make the most out of the situation. And I think that's cool that y'all are able to do that and to mentally, mm-hmm. you know, get to the place where you need to be to, to then switch gears to compete and play hard against each other. And then when it's over, it's over. I assume y'all are maybe <laughs> yeah, having yeah, dinner no. together that night right <laughs> I don't know. maybe not 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 quite there but um <laughs> but we had a good handshake at the net and 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 yeah and I totally see how how this doesn't happen very very often like the the cordial like handshake at the net like after a loss because it sometimes it can feel a little personal but I can never blame my opponent for feeling that way because if you've emotionally invested yourself into a match and, and you, and you really did put everything that that you had out there, it's really tough to like switch it off, you know, from the moment the po- the last point ends to the, the moment you get to the net. Like that's a, that's a very short period of time to just put the loss behind you and have, and, and have a cordial handshake. But, you know, just everyone deals with it a different way. And so you know, how, however, however things happen after the match, I, I just accept it and, and just respect whatever my opponent, however my repo- opponent wants to react. That's great that you can do that. I mean, that <laughs> it takes a lot of discipline and, and practice, I would think, to get to the point where you're able to set things aside and, you know, mm-hmm. be cordial. I, I, to me, that's one of the hardest things about tennis and that, and then, you know, at the big tournaments where they make the finalist who is not the champion give a speech. Mm-hmm. Like really? Oh, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, that that is really tough. I think I think one of my toughest moments last year was losing a three hour semifinal match uh in Honolulu, Hawaii. It was scorching hot, pretty heartbroken I lost, but I, I was interviewed on the court afterwards asking, and it wasn't even questions about the match. It, it was like questions like, Oh, have you been to Honolulu before? Like, what is your favorite restaurant here? And it just seemed like kind of like meaningless talk. And I was just like, Oh, wow. Like this is pretty tough, but you know, this, in a small way, I was like, this is an exercise for, for tougher moments in the future. But, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Those, those, that's, it's pretty brutal sometimes. Yeah, I always feel so bad when, <laughs> when the, you know, even going into media and having to, you know, sit and answer questions after a loss is, 
you know, it's mm-hmm. really challenging. And, and oftentimes it's within a few minutes of finishing the match. So it's not like you have a lot of time to process and kind mm-hmm. of get your head around it. But anyway, what mm-hmm. do you feel like is helping keep you motivated to stay out on tour? I mean, it's, it's been, you've had some success out there Tennis is so cyclical, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. you can have a great week and then you can have just a horrid week and Mm -hmm. somehow have to stay motivated. How do you do that? It's tough sometimes, especially when you go through certain, certain, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say losing streaks, but certain like slumps in the year or uh when maybe when expectations rise for you and you don't rise to and your performance doesn't rise to them it's that that could be really tough and um and at the same time it's it's difficult to see that your your hard work not not showing or um you're not getting the results that that you thought you can mm-hmm. but i think over the past you know 5 years i've i've learned to really just enjoy what tennis is giving me not not only in terms of like the opportunities to to play at these at these big tournaments but but also as like a way to as it's like an avenue for me to be a better version of myself um whether it's in terms of like um fitness uh whether it's uh skills on the court or or just working on your mentality, um, maybe dialing in your nutrition. These are all things that you can, that anyone can improve as like a human being, like, you know, aside from, you know, improving certain strokes on the court, fitness, whatever. Those, those are like the tennis things, the physical things, but all the stuff that's in the side, you know, a whole bunch of like self-awareness and self-growth, like all those things come because I want to be a better tennis player. And like when I can see it in that light, that that keeps me motivated because tennis is not only giving me, you know, that tennis gratification, it's giving me that life gratification at some point. And um and yeah, so like when when I go out there and it's and it's tough to show up and, and work certain days, like I just I just try to tap into the part where I'm telling myself I'm trying to be a better be a better version of myself or improve my humanity or whatever it is like and and you know really stay in touch and with with my own integrity uh when when I'm going out and and doing something for for my game and yeah for for the advancement of my career and do you kind of feel like all of this growth is for making your tennis career go better or are you preparing for what's next after tennis or a combination of the two things? Definitely a combination of the two things. Um, you know, in, in terms of, um, we'll, we'll put an example like uh, mental growth. Like I, I listen to podcasts to, in, to invent to enhance like my tennis skills and such but there are a lot of things that i hear like that are um that are recorded that i I could definitely see that will relate to life after tennis and so you know you just like kind of put it in your back pocket you use it now for tennis but you just and you but you could feel you know at peace knowing that this it, it doesn't just end there and that you can you could definitely use it for life, life after tennis. Mm-hmm. When you first came out of USC and, and kind of launched your professional career, did you have, did you put a lot of pressure on yourself that first year? Do you remember? Uh, the, the first year, it, I think I was a little bit more, I, I, I don't know what, um, what pressure uh, what what people would say are like high expectations or, or um, you know what what is real pressure? But I think the only the only thing I put on myself was that I every time I was out there competing, I had to put out my best. Um, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, I had to leave it all out there because 
yeah, yeah. I just I felt like I was leaving my my friends and my family, you know, back at home. I was working working hard, and you know, giving up kind of uh, the opportunity to have a, a normal job and to actually start making money in order to pursue this. And, you know, at, at that point, I didn't know what, what would come of it but or, or how successful I would be. But the only thing I wanted to hold myself accountable for was to make sure that I was, I was making it worthwhile in terms of, like, my effort on on tour like I, I wasn't just I wasn't just going out there and trying to have an experience I wasn't trying to go get like a participation trophy or, or, or something like that or, or just like <laughs> saying like I saying like I just I did it and that's great you know I, I wanted to make sure that I, I was trying to to maximize what I had and um and if it was and if it wasn't good enough then I can I can you know I can be okay with that but mm-hmm. um but it but if it wasn't great then then what's next if you know right. what i mean yeah have there been points where you have considered hanging up your racket oh yes um i think around like 2 years ago i think i believe it was in two, was it 2016 or 2000 I think it was in 2016, summer of 2016. I was having just quite a few injuries, a lot of chronic pains in my in my elbow and in my shoulders and in my in my um in my ankles and uh, I just didn't feel, and I felt very limited with my tennis because of certain like body aches and and also I just didn't and because of that I didn't feel like I was improving anymore and and I thought that was the end of the road. Um, so, so that was when I, I felt like it, it was time to quit. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so my expectations just really dropped and I figured maybe I'll just finish out this season. And then in the meantime, while I'm finishing out, I could kind of start networking again and program to see what's next for me. But, uh, Jacqueline Keiko and I, we, we qualified, we didn't qualify, but, uh, we won the U S open playoff in doubles. Uh, that summer, and so we we got to play in the main draw at at U.S. Open, and just being there in New York, seeing the slam just just happen and participating in it, it just I think that like gave me new life into my career, and and made me the you know just want to reevaluate how I was doing things and see maybe if I can just tighten up a few screws, maybe have a little bit different um, different mindset in terms of how to take care of my body or, or just like, you know, just try to rebuild the machine. Maybe I could do this, continue to do this because I really wanted to be there again. And, um, and so, so yeah, that kind of jumps re restarted my career. And, um, and yeah, so it, it just came at a timely matter and, and I, and I was lucky it, it all just happened like that. And so how did you resolve the pain you were having? Uh, <laughs> to be honest, I just, um, I started, I started to get in the gym a little bit more. I was having a lot of foot problems, but um, I started to, I started to do a little bit more long distance running with my friends, which seems like really odd that you would have like foot you would have problems with your feet and then you just go out and you go run like a 5k. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that does seem a little weird. <laughs> yeah. It does seem a little weird, but like, but I had been, um, yeah, I had been, I had been so careful with my body and, and I, and I don't know if like my, my reservations to push it made it, made it actually weak. On, and when it came to competition, so um, so at, at that point, I, I told myself I'd rather do something different, do something outside of the box, than do something, than train the way I've been training for the past two years and be the same. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so really, really odd. But um, and and I don't know if we want to get into the sciences of it, like right now. But it, yeah, let's but, talk uh, about that because I yeah. this, this is very bizarre to me that 
you know, that running has helped you, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no, talk about it. Yeah, no, I think, um, because I had, I had always, um, been really careful with my feet. I've always chased my feet before I go play and whatnot. Like I never built the strength in my actual foot muscles in order to withstand the pounding that, that on the tennis court that, you know, really high competition required. And so, um, as I, I, I made some, uh, endurance, endurance running friends and, and they were telling me about, you know, building up your mileage slowly. And like, they were teaching me like certain like foot and leg exercises to make you a stronger runner. And I, and I just did it just to, you know, just to have something else to do other than tennis kind of, but to make it somewhat productive. So I just dabbled into it and, and yeah, slowly, gradually, like, uh, the, the strength in my legs. It, it got a lot better, the endurance, the cardio. And and since then I've been pretty pain free from with my with my feet. And so yeah, I mean I mean it makes sense in my head kind of, but uh <laughs> Well, I mean I cross it training it's a cross mm-hmm. training thing, right? So that's yeah. always good because repetitive stress injuries happen no matter what mm-hmm. activity you do, if you do it over and over and over and over and over again, long, you know, over mm-hmm. a long enough period of time, you're going to have injuries, but to, to challenge your body in a different way, it, it makes sense, I guess, now that you say it like that, that, you know, you were, and it, it probably was really good for your mind too, mm-hmm. to get yeah, out and yeah. run and do something different and have a mm-hmm. different social group that wasn't tennis connected and, Right. Yeah. No. A- a- absolutely. Those those are actually my my friends that I was talking about that that come that have come to my tennis matches too. So um, that's your so yeah, running they, friends. Yeah, they're my running friends. So you've turned them into tennis fans or just Daniel yeah. fans? <laughs> yeah. Oh, t- tennis fans. I guess I guess they follow the sport a little bit more now, but yeah, maybe more primarily Daniel fans. But they do follow the sport a little bit more now because I follow their sport. They follow mine. There's a little bit, a little bit of exchange when 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 we get together. I love that. Did you, mm-hmm. when you were in college, did you go to any of the other sporting events at USC? Uh, other than football and a couple of basketball games, I, I did enjoy going, watching, watching the track and field meets. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? We went to a few water polo games as well, some swim meets. So yeah, we had a, we had a pretty um, tight knit, like athletic athletic um athletic family at usc so we we would go out to each other's games and and it, and it was nice but i think at that point i i i went because it was more it was more for a social aspect and sure. maybe my other teammates were were going with me but um uh, maybe i wasn't mature enough to really appreciate um the, the skill level in every single different sport and like what it took for each sport, each athlete to be as good as they are at what they do. But, um, but now I look at it more from, for example, like with running, I look at it more from, you know, a technical standpoint and I really appreciate what, what great runners, what, you know, at whatever pace they can run or, or whatnot, that, that to me um, is, is pretty cool too to kind of like geek out on a little bit. <laughs> I like that. I think that's cool. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny. I, and the reason I asked you about going to the other sporting events is I remember my son's freshman year of college and he made friends with some of the guys on the soccer team and they kind of had like this unspoken deal that, you know, I'm going to come watch you play soccer and then you're going to come watch me play tennis. And that way we know we're going to have somebody that we know in the stands cheering for us mm-hmm. and, yeah, you know, it was just kind of a cool arrangement. I don't think they, you know, necessarily had a conversation about it, but I think that's mm-hmm. just kind of organically what wound up happening and it was nice on both sides. So no, that's awesome. Yeah. So I think that's great mm-hmm. that, that you have this fan base that comes from your running. And I mean, mm-hmm. speaking of fans, you know, you, you mentioned that, sometimes you're traveling to places that aren't so glamorous. And mm-hmm. I suspect that sometimes you're playing 
to very small crowds at those non-glamorous places. Mm-hmm. How do you handle that mentally? Like, I mean, yes, tennis is an individual sport and you're out there to compete and win and earn ranking points and earn money so you can keep competing. But it's mm-hmm. also a form of entertainment. And, yeah. you know, when, mm-hmm. when the, the audience isn't there, what does that feel like? I think at that point, you're just playing for for yourself and um, you're playing for all those hours you put in just, just to see if, if, if you've made any improvements. It's, it's, it's just another, it's just another moment to challenge yourself. And, and I understand how it, it can be tough if you don't have an audience to watch, there's no external motivation, you know, to, to bring out your best, but, you know, everyone kind of has to start somewhere at in the lower ranks and in those smaller tournaments. And in order, in order to earn the audience, I always told myself, you you need to, you need to get through this part first. And so right now it's about working your game and, and proving that, you know, you, you, you deserve an audience kind of. And um, so, yeah, it was just like small mental tricks I would tell myself. Um, but in the start, I I also was sure to to tell myself that you're you're doing this because you you love to play tennis and um and so yeah just go out there and compete and and do and do what you enjoy enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Do you notice if there's a crowd in the stands or not a crowd in the stands? Um. Well, I guess when I first step out, you can kind of you can kind of survey the area and, and see how, how big the crowd is and how, how big or small it is, but bigger, bigger, small crowd that it doesn't really affect me. Sometimes my friends will, t- will ask me, Oh, do you mind if we cheer or does it distract you? And I said, it, it, it's whatever it is. I've played in loud areas. I've played in really quiet places. And so whatever it is, I've, I, I've pretty much seen most of it minus, you know, the, the, center court at Wimbledon or, or Rodney <laughs> Arena or something like that. I've played in almost all of it. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's just, it's just accepting whatever, whatever environment you're in. And, you know, when you settle into that, you can just allow yourself to perform. Do you feed off the cheering or really it's just kind of background noise? Uh, I do. I do feed off of it when, when it's there. But um, when it's not, I do enjoy like the quiet too. It's it's kind of when when it is quiet, it's it, the environment mimics a practice a little bit, and so you can I can find a way to be comfortable in that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, for sure, like a, a louder crowd, it's it, it's nice. It's a, it's a great it's it's a cool environment to be in because you don't you don't see it too often, especially um, especially when you're playing the smaller events. So, so yeah, when it's there, I, I really enjoy it, but, um, but yeah, if it's not, it's not that big a deal. Do you have the opportunity often to talk to young juniors that are coming up in the sport? Not really, actually. And, and I, and I was thinking about that the other day and I was hoping to find, find a way to, to try to do it a little bit more, but it, it's always tough when you're in and out of town so much. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm curious if you, you know, let's say you met a 12 year old girl who aspired to be you when she grows up, what <laughs> what would you tell her? What advice would you give to her? Hmm. I'm not sure. I actually wouldn't. What I, what I tell most, most kids that I do come across is like the the number one thing that you you have to you have to make sure of if you want to have a long career in this sport is that you gotta continue to to love the game and be a student of the game because when the love is gone that's when you stop improving I think 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, so nothing really technical because everyone's got their own games and not, no real mental tricks or anything, but just like make sure that your purpose is, is always, yeah, it's always, it's always number one. Like, are, are you, are you playing, are you playing to please somebody or playing to please your parents or are you playing for yourself? Like, you know, I think. I think everyone needs to understand like why they play tennis and when, when they can always refer back to that and it's, and it's a strong foundation that that's, um, that's where the strength comes from. Uh, and that's where, where the, you know, the, the relentlessness comes from when, when you're having bad days and that's, and that's where also like, where the performance comes from when you're having good days is when, is when you're, when your purpose is aligned with, you know, aligned with you and, and you know, and you know exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. With all the stuff going on behind the scenes in the professional tennis world right now, do you ever get sidetracked by all that? Do you get sucked into it or are you able to just kind of let that stuff happen on the side? Uh, are you talking about in terms of media or, um, I mean, you media, to? the ITF tour, you know, all the craziness uh, with the, with the rankings and, mm-hmm. you know, getting into the different tournaments, um, all the stuff going on with prize money arguments and making sure that players are being compensated fairly, all the inside betting stuff going on. I mean, there's just, you know, it seems like every day there's another mm-hmm. tennis disaster story, and I'm using air quotes <laughs> around disaster, but I mean, there's uh-huh. just something else going on. It's like, oh my gosh, can't we just focus on the tennis and like, let's not, mm-hmm. you know, are you involved yeah, like, with any of that stuff? Not, not too much, actually. I'm, I'm with you on that, like just focusing on the tennis. And um, I actually just kind of, I, I like to, stay away from from that type of stuff and in terms of media i i don't get too much attention on media so uh that's just uh i don't have to deal with that too much sometimes i'll get some some nasty remarks after a a tough loss or something but it's nowhere near close to what uh some of the bigger stars have to deal with um equal pay and such and uh it's tough for it's tough for me to dwell on those things when I feel like I have so much on my plate already in terms of, you know, practice, training, scheduling. And, and to me, yeah, I just try not to waste too much, too much mental, too much of my mental capacity on those things. That's probably very smart. (laughs) Do you, do you think there, I mean, is there a magic ranking number that you feel like, if when I reach this point, so many things are going to be easier for me. <laughs> it's so funny because, you know, when, when I was, when I was like lingering around 400, I thought being inside the top 300 would help me out. And then when I got inside the top 300, I thought being inside the top 200 would help me out. And then when you're inside the top 200, you're thinking, oh, it'd be so nice to be inside the top 100. <laughs> so I think it changes. Um, like at, at this point right now, it's in my mind, being inside the top 100 would, would be great. And do I really have a number per se? Eh, not Not really. But yeah, I, I, it, it's funny that that you asked that because I could give you I could give you some sort of um, some sort of number now, but it's going to change in a year or so again, um, or it may not be existent anymore if I don't play. But yeah, so I, I think inside the top hundred as of right now is is a good answer, just because. You get to play in all the big tournaments. Um, you're, you're compensated well enough to really sustain this type of career. Um, yeah, so so right now I, I, w- I would say something like around those lines. But, yeah, it all, it's always changing. And is that doable? I mean, you're at 167 right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is getting inside the top 100 something that is achievable by the end of the year or – 
I mean, do you have a plan to get there? I, I just am curious, like, how do you mm-hmm. think about this stuff? And, you know, how well, do you think, go about making it happen? Yeah. Uh, somebody at around, um, at around my number, it, it's totally possible to be within the top 100 at the end of the year. They're, they're just people around, yeah, around my ranking. We're kind of waiting for a really, a big, a big, big tournament, as in like to do well in a WTA or to do well, or to do well in a slam. And, and sometimes all it's, if you do well enough, sometimes all it takes is one, one big tournament to push you inside. Uh, just because those, those bigger tournaments are worth a lot more points than mm-hmm. the smaller ones. So I guess the, um, the strategy in terms of scheduling is to play as many WTAs as possible and to really prime yourself for the slam. Well, slams, but um, there's only one slam left in the year. So yeah, I, I would say that that would be the the strategy. Uh, not not to say you don't want to do week well week in week out, but yeah, you want you want to see yourself peak at at the biggest tournaments. Absolutely. I mean, that makes total sense. And mm-hmm. I, you know, for somebody at your ranking level. Um, it's, it's not a given that you're going to get into the U S open. Uh, it's mm-hmm. probably, a, is, is it a given that you get into the qualies at this point? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And, and so at the U S open qualies, is it four rounds of qualies? Is that right? It's, it's three, three rounds. Yeah. Okay. So, and just so the audience understands there are ranking points involved in the qualies mm-hmm. there's prize money involved in the qualies right so yes. i mean that's that's a big step to know that that's going to happen for you in a few weeks mm-hmm. yeah and and getting into tournaments and managing your schedule is a huge part of of the, of um, of the job actually if you don't manage your your tournament schedule well enough you're going to sign up for tournaments you're not going to get into or you're going to you're going to choose the wrong tournament to play at the wrong time. And that all just comes with, you know, years of experience. And, and, and I can't, and I can't tell you that there's a certain formula in terms of how to schedule your tournaments because different, different people like to like to set up their schedule in different ways to peak at the bigger events. So it's just kind of a personal feel thing. And you do that all for yourself or do you have somebody that helps you? I do it pretty much on my own. I always try to get feedback from my coaches, um, just asking them, where do you think we're at right now? Do you think I need a few more matches or do you think a little bit of rest before the U.S. Open is going to be more beneficial? So I I talk it over with with my team to see to see what they think and um but but at the end of the day after i collect all that information it's a it's a feel you kind of know inside and um and yeah there are a lot of tough decisions sometimes you know to pull out of tournaments or to you know to push to play events you may you may not feel ready for but um yeah it's part of the job and there are rules around signing up for tournaments and then Oh yeah. Withdrawing and you can get Mm -hmm. penalized. And if you withdraw, you can't sign up for another. I mean, there are all sorts of complicated Mm -hmm. rules around that, right? Yes. Yes. And and that's what makes it difficult too. You can't just like sign up for everything and then decide last minute where you want to go. There's, yeah, there's penalties and there's fines involved, which, which makes it tough too. And um, sometimes if you want to stay in, in a tournament that's the same if you want to stay in a WTA tournament that's the same week as an ITF event if you pull out of the ITF event while still being entered in the WTA event as well you will get fined but at the same time like sometimes you don't know if you're moving into an event or not and it's just the cost of doing business sometimes when when you got to pay that fine in order to give yourself an opportunity to play a bigger event so yeah, that's crazy <laughs> to me that they charge you for for trying to further your career and play yeah. up to the next level. I mean, that's that's 
that's yeah, that's one yeah, of the pieces of the sport that make me nuts. But yeah, um, so it makes us nuts a little nuts. <laughs> I can only imagine. So yeah. if you, when you, I'm not going to say if, when you get into the top hundred, what will look different for you? Uh, I, I would say you just get more more automatic bids into events that you want to play. Uh, you get a little bit more certainty in, in your in your scheduling. And uh, if you're inside the top hundred, you're you are also pretty much in every single slam. In, in the main draw of every single mm-hmm. slam, and that's and that's a pretty significant paycheck, you know, to be in the first round of a slam. So that's, so, I mean, let's talk about what that. That's probably somewhere around one hundred fifty thousand dollars, right? If even if you lost in the first round of all four slams, is that uh, right? So yeah, so around uh, every slam's around like fifty thousand. Oh, they're fifty now for first round. Wow. Yeah. For, yeah. So f- okay. 50, so it's two hundred. Yeah. So it's it's around like it's around two hundred, and that and that's just like two. Yeah, if you maintain that top hundred ranking, yeah, that's like two two hundred k in your pocket without the rest without the rest of the events. Right, and that and that just helps you to afford certain things that are are going to help help your game. Whether it's you know you're you're bringing your coach on the road or bringing bringing a family member on the road just to keep you mentally sane, like all, all those things, they just they add up and, and they just, and they help a player to perform. It doesn't guarantee a great performance, but it definitely increases the chances. Or if you bring a physio on the road, like these, these aren't all guarantees, but they just increase your chances. And, and so when you increase your chances every week, you're more likely to have those big events that keep, or like a very big tournament, a very good performance in a big tournament. If you just show up week in, week out as prepared as you can be possible. And mm-hmm. that's what keeps you inside the top hundred too. So it's it's both. It's not only, yeah. It's not only tennis. It's not only training. It's it's management too. Right. Let's kind of flash back to your junior tennis years for a minute. Uh-huh. I mean, you you sound so together to me. Um, just speaking with you and you know following you on social media you seem to have such a healthy mindset around your tennis career. Did that come naturally to you? Is this something that you had to work on? I mean, what, what was your behavior and attitude like as a junior player? Were you this calm and like rational? Please say no. Please say no. No, first of all, uh, first of all, thank you for for saying that. Um, But, but to be honest, no, no. And I, and I've had to work at it and I, and I continue to work at it every day. Um, But like I told you a little bit earlier, I I listen to podcasts, um, just, just random ones, you know, on, on iTunes, or whatnot, just just to see if I could pick up, you know, some some sort of mindset mindset um, perspective from from somebody that's more successful or or somebody that's made their own success. Um, and I, and I've definitely had to work at it ever since you know ever ever since I was younger too. And I'm probably more focused on it now just because I I have an awareness for how important it is. But yeah, when I was younger, there was, there's lots of, there's a lot, there's lots of things going on in my head that weren't helpful. And, uh, but luckily you just, you just have the right coaches to guide you and, and, and mentor you. And, and also if I, I was, I was really lucky to have, you know, very involved parents that, that helped me out, uh, in the right way. So, so yeah, it, it wasn't just me working at it. A lot of people were helping me work at it too. Um, so, so yeah, for, for everyone that's listening and, and thinking that their kids are nuts, it, it's, it's just, it's just part of the process and it, and it's a, it's a long process and you just have to continue to work at it. When you say your parents helped you in the right way, what does that mean? 
I we all want to know the magic formula here. So. <laughs> There's no magic formula. Oh, come on. <laughs> um, well, they were just really supportive in terms of um, in terms of, of what I wanted. So that's, that's number one. And, and I think we, with, with every parent and, and kid relationship, it, it's going to be a little bit different, but I, I kept the communication really open with my parents when, when I was younger too. We, we talked about tennis a lot, um, which is, which is not, I wouldn't say that I would recommend that for everyone because some, some kids don't want to talk tennis a lot, but I just happen to be one of them that just really loves to just talk about tennis. And um, so with keeping that communication open, I was, it helped for me to tell them what I wanted out of my tennis so that they can hold me accountable for, for, for what I was expecting out of myself. And, um, and especially my dad would always any any time I was on court and I was kind of acting like a brat or or maybe just not not having a great attitude he he would just always remind me like remember you are the one that that wants to be out here you're the one that that wants to play you told me that you you want to be out here you want to be a better tennis player so if you don't feel like doing that today then we don't need to be here and um and so in in that way he held me accountable for 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 my attitude and and my actions um so i i would i would say that that was um that that's what's been pretty pretty stable over the years up until now so when i when i have when i have tough days you even even now like my parents will tell me well like you you wanted to pursue this career so you know you just you have to move forward from today in the most productive way possible I think that's great advice. I mean, mm-hmm. so you're you're 28 years old now, and mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing professional tennis players. I mean, my goodness, Venus Williams. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, playing well into their 30s, late 30s. Mm-hmm. Is that something you aspire to do? <laughs> if I could be like Venus Williams, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. You know, if I if I can if I can continue to to improve or, or play at that level for that long, that would be that would be amazing. Um, but there there is only one Venus and one Serena so far, and and at this point, I just have to marvel at how they're how they're just doing life in general, like. Yeah, they're into their late thirties and still playing at this level. This is it's it really is spectacular actually. And and to see Federer doing the same thing, um, playing at this high level at his age. I, I tell all my all my friends, my, my non my non tennis friends, my running friends, that it's gonna be a while before something like this happens again and this is really something special that we're seeing. So I if I could be like them, that would be awesome. If I could play that late into into my career, that'd be awesome. But um, whatever they're doing is pretty special. So if I don't, I wouldn't call it a bad career. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Do you take notes on what they're doing? I mean, you said just you know that you're in awe of how they do life. What mm-hmm. what is it that they're doing that not? I'm talking about off the tennis court. Um, that wows you so much? I think um, in terms of, of their legacy in general, it's pretty spectacular, actually. Like when I, – I wouldn't say that I'm taking any, like, particular notes. I just I just know the effect that the Williams sisters have on our sport. And anytime I tell somebody – I'm a professional tennis player. This one of the first things they ask me is like, "Have you ever met the Williams sisters?" Like, that's like to me, like that says a lot about you know what you know the presence they have in our sport. And um, so yeah, I mean maybe I should take notes, but but yeah, that's that's all I could really say about that. And have you met them? Uh, I've I've met Venus. I have not met Serena. I've seen her in the locker room, and she's quite intimidating. <laughs> um, doesn't, doesn't, 
uh, you don't want to bother her, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, just, I, I don't really know them too well, but yeah, just, just seeing what they've done over the years. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. What is a match in your career so far that stands out to you where you were like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I am standing on this court at this tournament playing fill in the blank on the other side of the net. Hmm. Um, a match. Hmm. Actually, I wouldn't say it's it's a match. Um, it, it just happened this past weekend. I was uh, I was playing world team tennis, and I was on the other side of the court uh, against Zika Azarenka. And, um, yeah, I, I just remember a few years ago, I was watching her win slams and I was like, wow, it's what, you know, this, this is amazing. Like she's, um, you know, she, I think she, you know, she's challenging the Williams sisters and, and whatnot, probably the first to like really challenge them from the back of the baseline. Um, and so this past weekend playing an exhibition against her, I was just like, wow, I can't believe I'm playing against a former, former slam winner. Uh, former number one. That was pretty cool. Um, That's pretty awesome. Yeah, gosh, I've played quite a few matches, so it's kind of like tough for me to like pull one out. But I I would definitely say she's, yeah, she, this is the most recent one that's like popped in my head, probably because it just happened a couple days ago. Well, so this is a perfect segue because we've just got a few more minutes, but I definitely Mm want to talk about World Team Tennis and your experience there and how you mm-hmm. got the opportunity to play. Can you kind of give us a quick rundown of how that all happened? Yeah, so um, I, I played for the San Diego Aviators for for this past weekend. I guess uh, their, their, their team had a couple injuries, so they needed a, a substitute or, or um, you know, just some local ringer kind of to, to show up and, uh, and to fill in a few matches. So, uh, so the um, the gentleman that that handles all the world team tennis draft, he he gave me a call and and asked me if I could fill in for these three matches, and and I just said and I said yes. So I got matched up to play a little bit of doubles and and singles and in their short format. So it, it was a it was a cool experience. Definitely very different from what I'm used to. It's very quick and it's very loud. Um, I wouldn't say it's like college tennis, it's, uh, but um, definitely closer to it than the professional tour, I would say. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a really fun event, and um, it, it's great. It, I think it's a great segue event or like a great starting event for people who don't watch tennis to come and be entertained and to, grow, and to somehow grow their interest in tennis. Mm-hmm. Is it something you hope to do again? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's it's awesome to be in like a, a different environment um, and to to do something. I feel like in a way this is doing something great for the sport because it, it's it's a really great like fan friendly format, fan friendly show, and and it, it it's a nice change to get on court and of course winning is important because you want to win for your team, but to go out there and just have that mentality that like, I'm, I'm an entertainer and, and this is, and this is awesome that all these people came out to watch me and, and to be entertained versus when you go to, you know, a WTA match or whatnot, you go out there and the, obje- the main objective is win, 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 win. You've got to win because like, this is your livelihood and it's a little bit different in that sense. But, but yeah, so the past few days have been cool to go out and, and to put on, put on a cool show. I love it. Well, Danielle, you've been just so fun to chat with and I love your honesty and I, I love your thoughtfulness and thank you so much for, <clears throat> excuse me, sharing that with the parenting aces audience. No, no, thank, thanks for having me on here. And, and, and thank you, Lisa, for, for all that you do. Like I, I really do. I think it's awesome that you're you're sharing your knowledge or whatever knowledge you pick up from from the rest of the tennis world with other with other tennis parents because I I remember my family was there at some point when we when we were clueless about what to do um, to to go forward 
in terms of being a competitive junior and my parents wanted to know how to guide me and and I wish like we had something like this when when I was when I was coming up as a junior. Thank you. That's very sweet. Well, I am looking very forward to seeing you play in New York next month and I uh, just stay healthy and have fun with your running buddies and <laughs> continue success on the tennis court. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. And to my audience, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out ParentingAces.com.